Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Anything But Typical podcast. And this one is going to be take one of two, because (laughs) (laughs) the last time that we were trying to do this, Devin had one of his two allowed days per year where he was sick, (laughs) or he, I don't even know that he was sick, he was just needing to recover. So we had to improvise. Thank you for letting us do the uh, imposter syndrome kind of free form. That was fun. I was just trying to give you guys creative space to work, <laughs> and uh, the episode's great. So <laughs> That's great. You're welcome. <laughs> you rock. It's all about team, isn't it? That's right. It, it, it's all about team. So we're going to start out like what we always do. So Devin, you and Morgan are out with your kids on one of your site visits of your 300-plus gyms and uh, studios and you're out someplace we'll say Denver because that's where my son lives so you're you're going through the Denver airport and somebody recognizes you and your entourage and they go hey wait a minute that is Devin Klein with Burn Boot Camp and they start talking about you not realizing that you can overhear everything that they're saying about you what would you want somebody to say about you that's a really great question. I've never been asked that one before, but <laughs> it is something I think about all the time because a brand, I'm a branding guy, right? It's what my natural, my mind's naturally inclined for branding and marketing. When you're a brander, you, you put your brand out into the world with a certain desired interpretation, mm. but you don't really control it after that. Yeah, you kind of let right. it loose to the wild and then we call it the coffee to- uh, coffee table brand. Like Then there's millions of brands out there of people's different interpretation of how they would speak about you around right. a coffee table. Right. So in effect, you don't control it. It's such, it's such a good question because it actually tests that theory of what you would want people to say. And I think my answer, hopefully it's unique. I actually would want them not to say anything. I would want them to know that they can come up to me. Hmm. I would want them to be feel comfortable enough that we were living out our core values, that we were people first, that we were authentic, that you know, we do have integrity and people can, you know, people can sense like the genuine, yeah. genuineness of a human being. Yep. And if they felt like they could just come up to me and say hello and tell me how much burn has impacted their lives, I think that would be the ideal outcome. Mm. And then they wouldn't have to say anything. But if they didn't come up to me and they said something, I would want it to be, you know, within a stone's throw of what I put out there as, you know, what the axiom of the brand is, which is to empower, inspire, and transform lives through community-based fitness. Having community mm-hmm. just be the fire pit which we gather around and for them to really talk about how their life has become better, yep. not because of the push-ups, but because of the people that they surround themselves with. Myself and Morgan from the top down, mm-hmm. their trainers, you know, um, it's de- definitely a great question. Hopefully they say something in alignment with how we want the brand to be received. That's a great question. A great answer. It's the first time we've had that answer too. Yep. You wanted it to be unique <laughs> and that's the first out of a hundred. Well, it was like, so. I think uniqueness is also authentic. Like yep. that's the first thing that came to my mind. Mm-hmm. It's like, I wish they would just come up to me, not say anything. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's no, perfect. So for those who do not know Devin, Devin is a co-founder and visionary of Burn Bootcamp. He also has a professional baseball uh, background as well. Um, but I want to go back a little bit, and you've talked very, you used the word authentic already. You've, you've been very authentic about your childhood, some of the struggles and things like that. I, I want you to paint that picture a little bit because I think that's a good launching off point to what we'll get into later. 
Yeah, I tell my story because I think so many people felt like I did before I shared it, which mm. was my story's not good enough to share. Who's going to be inspired anyway? Mm. It's just little old me. I'm not capable enough to make change. So I'm not even going to tell my story. And if you don't tell your story, then you don't think about the past, right? Because mm. in order to articulate your story properly, you've actually got to go through and you've got to sort out the past, right? You've got to, like, in my opinion, that's what we have a memory for is yeah. to just reconcile, play the tape back uh, of the past. And so, yeah, for me, I think about growing up uh, in Battle Creek, Michigan, in, in poverty and adversity in a chaotic household where parents were abusing themselves, drugs, mm. their children. I mean, anything that mm. they could touch outside of you know sexual abuse, a, de- a father with multiple wives, multiple children by multiple women. Some of them at the same time, a life in and out of jail. And I'm just a byproduct of that. My mother left the household uh, as a teenager. And it was just, I mean, listen, it was chaotic, I think is the best way to put it. There was no structure. I was unsupervised. I got roaming the streets. It was nothing to just, you know, go in my dad's room at 15 years old and lift up the little canister on his desk and take a little nugget of weed out right. and just go like and he would have never noticed and mm-hmm. and we did and we had fun but I always had baseball right there keeping me in control because mm. there's nothing more I wanted than to get out of the confines of that environment it was almost like a gripping feeling mm. like a helpless feeling you you get this inherent disrespect associated with your name because of the family that you come from in a small town and it's like as a kid I'm not allowed to go hang out with my teammates because their parents know who my parents are and right. yeah. therefore I can't have the kid at my house whose father is a felon. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and so living under that shadow, it was I'm not gonna lie, tough. But for me, like it made me the tough person that I am today. Anybody that you see that has gone through pain in their life, they go one of two dramatic ways. Like they either they either become a pancake and completely get crushed by it and follow in the footsteps, succumb to the pressures of just being mediocre or less than yep. or a diamond. Right? And they use every ounce of that pain to recall how stressful it is, how helpless you feel when you're at the bottom and you know, it's not your fault. Yeah. At the end yeah. of the day. So, so I t- used it. You talked about how baseball was almost at that saving grace. You, you had this in your life and that was your staple. Um, and then you talk about the shadow of your father, but your father also was a McDonald's All-American. He was a professional baseball player. So you had shadows from him on each side of the spectrum. Yeah. Like, how did that play? Because that those two dynamics are pretty polarizing. Yeah, it's an interesting relationship with my dad. You know, he ended up passing away at 59, uh, drugs ultimately were his downfall and you know we had this off and on relationship to where he had this big heart like a huge heart for people and I get a lot of my huge heart for people from him very charismatic energetic positive optimistic person right especially when he was sober to me I was the golden child I was the one that was good at sports and could easily pull good grades and things like that but then the bottle turned upside down you know, and it started, you know, getting over the 4 p.m. threshold. And this wasn't just like a weekly thing. I mean, this mm. was a, this was a daily thing. By the mm. time I was 18 years old, we had upwards, uh, well over actually 50 
criminal charges in my household. So like the cops being at my house was pretty much like an every weekend type thing to the point where it it just was like, oh, there they are again. You know, like, all right, see you later. See you later. I know how this works, right? They basically interview my mom for an hour. They interview my dad for an hour. My dad goes to jail. My mom gets a slap on the wrist. Probably her fault to begin with because they were both batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. you know, that's just how it worked. Like the guy always, the guy always got the brunt of it. Or rightfully so, but they were like that to each other. And mm. but I never want to just look at the good side or the bad side. Like we all have two wolves, right? Yeah. We all have the good wolf. We all have the bad wolf. It's the one you feed. We all know that. Mm-hmm. And so he just made the wrong decisions too many times. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate him not only for that and, and what those kind of not-to-do lessons taught me, but I also, more importantly, thank, love, respect him for the things that he did do that were great, which is give me confidence, which is build me up, right? To break me down sometimes, but also, you know, always, always was my number one fan. And uh, definitely was taken from us too early. I think if he had a few more years, he would have figured it out. But, you know, same old song and dance for 30 years. Who knows if yeah, things would have right. changed around. Right. Um, this may be a byproduct of the environment, but talk a little bit about your early entrepreneurial experiences because you started dabbling in that pretty early in your life. Yeah, I was around 11 years old. Kind of when I use that memory to like play back. I'm like, I think it's pretty funny when. People are like, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 10. I'm like, you knew what entrepreneurship was when you were 10? Because I didn't know what it was till I was 24. Right? Like, as an uneducated kid from you know Battle Creek, Michigan, uh, we know we didn't. The internet was about my let's see junior year of college, mm-hmm. right? When that really yeah. started, uh, junior year of high school, rather, when that really started taking off. And so, you know, you look back and. You say, okay, well, I got into sports because I wanted to be like my dad until 12 years old. My dad and I had an, inter- an interaction, an altercation, and that day was his first child abuse charge. And, and that day is when I realized that he was no longer my hero. He was mm-hmm. no longer the push person that I could look up to and that it was me and myself and I. And thankfully, right around this time, Morgan, who is now my wife, mother of my three children, CEO of the companies, she came into my life right around the same time at 12 years old. At the same time, I found out I was good at baseball because I didn't know growing up, like from those formidable years, you know, the zero to seven years, I was traveling in multiple states with my mom, living out of the back of her car, out of some apartments, some houses. We traveled the country for the first like seven years of my life, maybe like five years. So I was born in Battle Creek at two years old. We took off and didn't come back to like fourth or fifth grade. And so, you know, those times in my life, I didn't play sports. I didn't. It was very hard for me to make friends because I was traveling from location to location to location, which part of my extroversion is probably mm. part and parcel like because of those times, yeah. like needing to be able to make friends and feel like I could belong in a new environment. But then you actually go and you play organized sports and I, around 12 years old, when I meet Morgan, I'm getting moved up to the 14-year-old teams at 12, I'm 14, then I'm getting moved up to the 16-year-old teams, and now I'm a starter um, on a very good high school baseball team in Michigan, track record of winning uh, multiple state championships. I'm a freshman, I'm a starter, I'm a sophomore, I'm a starter, junior, senior, starter of four years, break the record for uh, lowest ERA in school history, get a, get a scholarship to Central Michigan University, play a couple years there, ball out there, uh, go to summer ball, which in college baseball, you all get shipped off and play summer ball. 
And we've got these little summer ball towns all over America. People are familiar with that, right? And I got picked up out of one of those leagues. I was 19 for 19. I was a closer, so I was saving games, coming in up three runs or less, and I was just dominating in that role. They plucked me right out of that league, and I went and played um, two years and some change with the Giants. And so between Morgan being there, baseball being there, I had plenty of escapes from that life, especially after that altercation with my dad. I tried to do, at 12, I tried to do everything that I could to stay out of the house, mm-hmm. right? Like so that so therefore, the next thing that became really important to me was a car, because a car symbolized freedom, right? Right. Makes I sense. could go. I was already unsupervised, right? So I knew if I got a car, I could literally be independent. Yeah. And there's a whole story behind that if you want to get into it, but I won't. I won't do it now because it's it's long winded. You may if you, if, you, if you'd like to. Yeah. No. 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 You're fine. You well, can keep going Michigan, with that, but. I, Detroit and all of that. I know Battle Creek, but there was a wasn't there a Pontiac plant or something? Yep. Remember the Pontiac Silver Dome? Yeah. Remember the where the Detroit Lions used yeah. to play out of before Ford Field came around? So yeah, yeah you know, Pontiac was big, and yeah, cars in general, Motor City, right? So uh, from Detroit to Chicago is I ninety four, and Battle Creek, my hometown, is like smack dab right in the middle of Detroit, and Chicago. Yeah. And if you know the geography of that area, you know ninety four is known for running. Right, not running miles, right. running drugs, <laughs> right? And so Battle Creek is this halfway point, and it became notorious for this halfway point meetup spot uh, for the I-94 drug trafficking corridor oh, as well. So there was some pretty interesting things uh, in, in Battle Creek, which I love my hometown, right? It just sucks that I had to grow up in a family where yeah. you know, I didn't have the support of the hometown, but now I do, Yeah. right? Now I do because I think people have short memories. Yeah. Yeah, well, not only that, but now you're also being judged more for you, not for your family name. Yeah, right. Great a, point. That goes a long way too. Right, because I built something that people care about. Yeah, and well, not only care about, but that changes and impacts people's lives. Right, and there's there's so much there of what you've created. We're definitely going to get a lot into this, but what you've created, it's it's changing the trajectory of thousands of people's lives through this ripple effect of the business you've created. I think that's important to me. It was always important to me to have money because not having money mm. equaled disrespect to me. So yeah. having money, there's a layer of respect that comes with that. Now, that was like part of the motivation. But then you can make a lot of money doing a lot of things where you don't help anyone but yourself. That's right. You know, and so for me it was like, yes, I want to make money, but the caveat, it's like yes and, yes and I want to do that by maximizing the quality of lives, of quality of the lives of the people that I'm able to interact with and engage with. Mm-hmm. And this philosophy of like every life that I touch or every hand that I shake or every high five that I give, if there's that human interaction, I want that person to be better for having that interaction, even if it's incrementally. And in return, I'll be better. And if we're both walking away from a conversation, an interaction, an exchange, and we're both better because of that, well then, you know, I think it's, I, I, to me, talking about being rich, talking about having wealth, talking about money isn't taboo if it's associated with something that's actually doing good for people. So I don't feel bad, yeah. you know, about being successful. I don't feel embarrassed to talk about money. I don't, it doesn't bother me because I know behind that is pure intent, a set of core values that allows us to say yes and no to things, to navigate the world appropriately. And, you know, we get to paint our own 
picture on our own canvas and there's nobody behind the scenes pulling strings telling us what we can and can't do. So it's interesting you say that. I'm going to bounce around here for a little bit. So That's fine. Apologies ahead of time. But I heard you say on a podcast once that you used to feel uncomfortable winning. Yeah. And now yeah, what yeah. you just talked about is almost the opposite of that, right? Like you've evolved to the point where you can be proud of what you did and not have any shame around success. So talk to us a little bit about feel uncomfortable winning. What did that mean to you at that point in your life? Well, I, heard, I first heard that from an Eminem lyric. So I'm from Michigan. I'm a huge <laughs> rap fan and just grew up that way. And he has a lyric that says, coming from humble beginnings, I'm somewhat almost uncomfortable winning. And he has this like humbleness, this humility of being one of the most successful artists of all time, but still being able to admit his like true raw feelings that when mm. you come from nothing, there's a, you guys did an episode on the imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. You could, and here's why, let me articulate why this is. So from my perspective, yep. you have this imposter syndrome because you, you have all this success now but you never had the mindset or the expectations to get it in the first place. So when you get it, you almost feel guilty at like, hey, look at all of these other people out here with super good ideas, hardcore work ethic, great personality, mm-hmm. right? Great propensity for leadership. People that, I mean, you just meet them and you're like wowed by them, right? Except for they go, year after year, venture after venture, swing after swing after swing and a miss, swing and a miss, swing and a miss, swing and a miss. And here I come from nothing, right? Not knowing and not even knowing what the word entrepreneurship was when I started a business and became an entrepreneur to going from zero dollars, not being able to afford a lease. Well, we had 600 bucks, practically zero. I spent $600 to start my parking lot boot camp. And then this was in 2012, 2015, we became a franchise. Seven years later, the company's valued at a half a billion and I'm looking in the mirror like, hmm. what the hell? <laughs> no one is more surprised by this than I am, right? And it's like, why me? Hmm. So that's what the, the impetus of saying I'm uncomfortable winning, why that lyric from Eminem hits me to my core is because I never in a million years thought I never was I never was prepared for success. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. To like have the first time I saw a million dollars in my bank account, I looked down at it, it was like, I need to do something like get rid of this because I'm gonna screw this up if I don't. Right? There's the crazy emotions that come when you see that amount of money and you didn't expect it. So I think for that reason is why I said that. But then you have to be you have to have some type of algorithm or formula in your head that allows you to keep humility, but also accept accept gratitude. Mm. Because part of people saying, hey, you're successful, I look up to you, is there, it's part, part, part of it is the gratitude they have for the company you've built that's helped them do whatever they've, whatever in their yeah. life has gone to the next level. And so on one hand, you feel like an imposter, on the other hand, you feel like an ambassador. And it's uh, sometimes a sticky place to be in, and I think something I'm still trying to sort out and probably will see different levels to that as I continue to, I'm not stopping anytime soon. So <laughs> yeah, probably an- see different levels your to Your answer it. to that five years from now is gonna be different than what it is. It today. for sure will yeah. be. Yeah. 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 So, um, okay, so continuing to bounce around, you were talking about getting into college and then playing and, and things like that. So uh, your mindset going into college of what your future was gonna be, was it all baseball? Did you have any idea? Was it? live day by day what was your mindset at that point Mm. my mindset 
at that point going into college was the same. And I think this is a natural mindset for me. I've always been a single, single outcome, a singular focus for a singular outcome. Like I wanted to go to college to get out of my house. Hmm. Like I wanted to go to the pros and be a big leaguer. Like that was my only goal. There was no backup goal. There was hmm. no plan B. You know, people like say, I, plan A is my only plan. I don't have a plan B. Right. Like I never heard that before, but that's just how I thought. Yep. And if this falls through, I'll figure out the next thing. One of the first quotes I heard about business was from Warren Buffett. And what did he say? He said something along the lines, and maybe this isn't a direct quote or a paraphrase, something along the lines of wealth is built through concentration and protected and grown through diversification. And so what that told me is like, there's not an an infinite amount of ways to be wealthy. There's like, you can have, okay, you can start a business, real estate, invest in stocks, commodities, you can invent something, you can win the lottery, you can get an inheritance. I mean, I, I'm missing things, you can digital assets, non physical, non-duplicatable assets, there's all types of, I mean, you guys know that, right? Yeah. You guys know that better than me. There's only a handful of ways you can actually, vehicles in which you can get wealthy. Mm-hmm. Can't do all of them at once, right? So for me, it was about go as deep as you can. Like, I guess for me, it was a public figure, I guess is a good way to sum up being a baseball player or a celebrity or an right. influencer. You don't really have a business you could, but you don't need one. You're not really, you don't hold a real estate portfolio. You get paid a check for being a public figure. Yep. So right. that was my first goal. I wanted to be under the lights, do what my dad never got a chance to do, what he always wanted to do. She mentioned McDonald's All-American basketball player, uh, Detroit Tiger. I wanted to go make the big leagues fulfill that dream. That didn't happen. Uh, I got released after two years and some change. Uh, released, by the way, for those of you that don't know, is a <laughs> is a ego uh, ego protecting way of saying you're fired right. <laughs> for all these el- male el- alpha athletes that you know they don't want to go tell their girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever they just got fired right <laughs> like, I got released I got released it's like a nice way to let you down well I got fired and uh, you know before effectively beating the shit out of my hotel room for two hours in anger immediately mm. after that and just mm. expressing all of those emotions in isolation I called Morgan and I'm like what are we going to do because we're together she's in Naples Florida at the time and she's like, Deb, dude, you just got it. We got to keep moving. We got, we've got to keep moving. We've got to keep going. You can't go backwards. I won't let you go backwards. We've mm. come too far. I bet you were paying my cell phone bill or I bet I've been paying your cell phone bill. Like, you know, that's mm. not going to be forever. You owe it to me. <laughs> you owe it to your people that proved, uh, that believed in you. Don't try to prove them wrong. Try to prove the people that believed in you right. She gave me this whole freaking pep talk and just basically said, keep moving. And when, when was this? This was uh, the first phone call I made after I got released. So, so when you what, get released, year? Sorry, uh, this is in 2011, late okay. 2011. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you have that happen to you, yep. or you get fired, yep. and then have this conversation in late 2011, and you have your first outdoor workout, essentially, in 2000, summer of 2012, right? Yes. Um, so, so, so excuse me. Through. This is 2010. Okay. Yeah. Then let okay. me, yeah. This is 2010. So then for so 2011, I'm in Naples, Florida. So I moved back to Naples, Florida. The first job I have is a direct TV job, okay. where I cut my teeth in sales. Yep. Where mm. one out of every 200 bolt-on TV services is considered <laughs> success. Right. You bring one of those stupid pieces of carbon, co- you know, paper home back to the home office in a day. You're like the golden boy. 
that was miserable. Mm-hmm. You know, making six or eight thousand dollars for the four or five months I did it, but it was miserable. And I was like, I'm gonna wake up and do something I love every day. Yeah, right? like I can figure out how to make money at it. And so fitness became it. Uh, yeah, fitness became it. And uh, in, in, in at that time, I joined a box gym. The box gym is no longer uh, here today. COVID took it under. But at the box gym is where I really saw the gap in the industry that I loved, which was all these trainers, these certified personal trainers who were spending four years in exercise science were trading their 60 minutes for 60 bucks. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yo, what are you doing? Right. Right? And so I started charging people the same amount. And putting them in groups, yeah. right? People were doing that in groups, right? Yep. But they were doing it in class sessions where you would lower the cost. I kept the cost high because I had a, I was credentialed. I was a professional athlete. I yeah. had a, a, a NASM certification, right? I had a, a National Academy of Sports Medicine. I was credentialed. Not the same as being a group instructor in front of a Les Mills class. Nothing wrong with that or a Zuma class. Nothing wrong with that. The industry just hadn't created this hybrid model where the personal trainers, the ones that knew their stuff, could work one on many. Yeah. And so we were the first one to just find that distinction and put these, you know, really credentialed professionals in with a group of people who fed off each other. What I noticed in my training sessions is even the one on one, you would, you know, you could get some results, but it was the accountability of having the team mm-hmm. around them. It's like you're gonna work harder by yourself with me, or you're gonna work harder with with you know people around you and I think the answer is obvious yep. so I saw that and that was the very seed down in Naples Florida for burn boot camp that program was called lightning 900 okay yeah what's what's uh, the significance of that name burn 900 calories lightning fast there you go. Ah. so corny you are a marketer I am <laughs> I am so proud of that though because I remember you know Hancock's the like material store listen I don't know anything at this point right I'm just a fitness guy but I have a natural inclination for marketing. I'm good at talking. I can, so I go to Hancock's and I cut out this, I take this big styrofoam block and we still have this shape, this symbol in our brand today at Burn. I cut out a 3D lightning bolt. I hung it with fish wire from the ceiling and then I put a fan on it in a strategic position so that it spun the lightning bolt so that when people walked in, they saw this rotating lightning bolt and it caught their <laughs> eyes. And then on the lightning bolt, it said words, but you couldn't read it unless you really concentrated. And so it was my first lesson in attention. Mm. Like people were gravitating their eyes toward this moving thing. And once you finally found out, found out what it said, it said, look down now. That's all it said, but it was spinning a little too fast for you to read it. And you look down and there's the table and there's all the stuff. Uh, and then people would sign up. They'd get a complimentary, what I called class <laughs> at the time. And uh, it was just the, the seed for a burn boot camp for sure. It's corny, but I'm proud of it. We, we we rarely burn 900 calories in an hour though, so that was a little, that was a little. You're much. pushing it a little. I was bit. pushing it a little. <laughs> just just <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. We're gonna sprint for an hour, guys. This yeah, an hour <laughs> straight. Yeah. We maybe got up there on very rare occasions, like somebody with a high anaerobic threshold that could just kill it. Maybe yeah. get up there, but on average, let's be real, maybe four to six hundred. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you are a marketer, and if everybody could see this, I know that this is an audio podcast, and at some point we will be. More well, we, on. Have, we have two cameras in the room now, yeah. so we're getting there, Gary. <laughs> so that's good. YouTube, we are gonna get, we are gonna find you. But he's got burn on the, 
Oh, on the blue lights? Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about, like, so he's got burn on the side of the temples of his glasses. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. So Burn Boot Camp has a whole line. It'll do about 13 million for us this year. Maybe a little bit less than that, and uh, very proud of that number. We used to sling T-shirts out of my out of my car. Uh, I had a Dodge uh, Challenger uh, that I bought like an idiot with my signing bonus from the Giants. Okay. Right, um, I was at least smart enough to negotiate a pretty good contract there. Uh, paid off any student debt. I had minimal student debt. Paid that off, and then and then bought a car. <laughs> yeah, and so and this thing had twenty two inch rims on it. Oh, jet black windows. It's a matte silver paint. I look like a drug dealer with this oh, thing yeah. rolling around. Hey, pulling up to like, you know, soccer tournaments with a clipboard. Like, hey, moms, like who wants to meet me in a dark parking lot <laughs> for a workout in my drug dealer car? You know, for free, by the way. Yo, here's a t-shirt if you want to come. It's like real compelling offer, Devin, you creeper. Like, go away. But that was the, that was the start to it. Um, so I would, I, would drive, I would drive the car around. Uh, doing that at different places uh, and slinging t-shirts out of the back. So activewear has always been a big part of our brand. Mm. It doesn't, like I said, the gym is just the fire pit, right? It's just the occasion in which we show up to build a community. Mm-hmm. And part of the confidence that we want to still, this comes from my baseball days, my baseball coach always said, boys, look good, play good. He goes, hey, listen, y'all look like a bunch of slobs out there. You're going to play 1% worse. Mm. You go out there, you look swaggy, you know, you guys look like you're matching, like you got your stuff together. It tells the other team you're in unison, mm. that you come to play, that you care about your appearance. I mean, just imagine a guy walking up to you in a suit versus holes in his jeans and dirt on his shirt, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Could be a billionaire have dirt on his shirt, but you would never know it because we judge people and that's... Mm-hmm. And so for me, a part of confidence and part of being successful and part of part of the... Whatever swagger you want to show up in the world with, we wanted to give our, our members who loved Burn Bootcamp and loved our brand, we wanted to, we wanted to infiltrate every mm. ounce of, every area of their life in which confidence was a factor, mm. right? And so if I could put you in some, you know, a beautiful top that it could accentuate, you know, um, your shoulders, and then we could put you in these uh, glass, these blue light glasses that could protect your eyes from the sunlight during the day or when you're staring at your phone constantly. And so we started with t-shirts and then we did a whole, you know, tops and bottoms. And then we went to undergarments, uh, sports bras, socks. And then we went to accessories, hats. Um, These blue light glasses are actually a partnership. Shout out to my boy, Will Greer with Seven Oak. Uh, He was uh, a Davidson Day Patriot, and then went and played at West Virginia, uh, Florida, then West Virginia, ended up getting drafted by the Panthers, going to play in Dallas. Now he's with uh, the Bengals, and he's a buddy of mine, and we've gotten to know each other, and his his mission is uh, just that holistic health. He, it's the same way I attribute some of the ways that I uh, took care of myself, getting me to the, lead, to mm. the level I got, yeah. he does with his, his journey as well, and sleep for him is a big one, and blue yeah. light has a you know, I'm not an expert in it. You guys should have him on your podcast and he could talk with you about it. I'm sure he'd Tee be up, happy man. to. Yeah, I could tee you up for sure. He'd love to talk about it. Um, he's really passionate about it. And so we did a partnership with him. We rolled it out two years ago. He came to our summit. He gave a speech. And yeah, so I go, now we have sunglasses, blue light blockers, and I'm actually working on the cherry on top of all of that right mm-hmm. now, <laughs> which 
is the number one question I'm getting right now when I go out and visit our locations in Burn Nation is, Devin, where are the Burn Boot Camp shoes at? So, <laughs> Oh, dude. Yeah. That's so, the next evolution in the merch? That's the next evolution in the merch. We need to connect you to my son who has Flux Footwear. Okay. He, I would love that. I would he love was, that. Uh, so he's got probably the first line, um, and I'm actually wearing a pair right now, but... You know, check these out. Yeah, let's see. Feel the inside. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to get a good torque on these, huh? Oh, yeah. Cool. And, uh, but anyway, he's got grounded. He's got, they are grounded. They're electrically grounded where you can electrically ground yourself like you're walking out on barefoot. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. So anyway, yeah. we need to, but he's been on the podcast, too. Oh, great. So, yeah. So I mean, we need to connect you. Footwear, is, is it, it's from head to toe, right? And then that business is almost to a point where we break it out and it becomes now, what well, in Burn Brands is our parent company. Mm-hmm. It's the holding company for all the organization. And I have this philosophy that any line, any line needs to become a category once it's over $10 million in sales. Any category once it's over $25 million in sales needs to become a business. If yeah. it's a part, so, cause right now the distribution for me at all of my locations, you know, it's, it is a business within a business, but it, hasn't always been treated like that out of the nature of the volume of it, Yep. right? So if anybody starts a business and then has follow-up products and services, we all know as entrepreneurs, it's like, hey, 70% of the people that bought something from you one time will buy something from you again and that's the easiest sale that you can make. Yep. Increase your, your frequency of, of tickets and, and, and how much money that you're getting from each person in which you do business with and so, uh, you know, once that starts happening and it gets big enough, then you start putting leadership and not, not that we don't have leadership, we have directors and we have managers. Once it gets to a certain point, you know, you put a, a vice president suite and maybe even a C-suite on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you didn't wake up one day and have all this stuff in place, right? So you were going around trying to convince people to come to a free workout <laughs> to get a t-shirt. Take us from that to opening up your first few locations. So we couldn't get a lease. So at, you know, despite the glorification of professional sports, sure. Playing baseball in the minor leagues is about the equivalent to walking barefoot on shards of glass, <laughs> blindfolded with no direction. It's like pretty painful. <laughs> right. And there's really no end to it. It goes forever. It goes for 142 games. You live out of a duffel bag. Yeah. You know, like you live out of like the red roof in and the cockroach in and like I'm not complaining. I'm not a complainer. I'm just saying, it's not what people think it is. No, I, had a, I had a blast. It's reality. It's reality. Like, yeah. it's not, you know, you were lucky if you got Chick-fil-A after the game. That was like a great day. Like, yeah. the stars are aligning today. <laughs> so, we didn't have money, right? And so, we had to start in the parking lot, as I mentioned. No one would give us that, that lease. We had to sublease. Well, I'm, I've got one speed, as anybody that knows me well <laughs> knows. I'm just going to go forward unless there's a logical reason to slow down or stop. At the time, there wasn't. And so we went from one parking lot to the next parking lot. This one actually happened to be a recreation center. And then we went to a dance studio. And then our fourth one was actually an abandoned movie theater that was on AMC's most haunted places in America. (laughs) Right? And I was sending my trainers in there at 4.30 a.m., Asking them to go up to the film rooms, you know, the dark cement projection rooms, (laughs) 
and turn on our projector in which would illuminate the back wall with the Burn Bootcamp logo. And I did, and I knew that it was on AMC's most haunted places in America. And I never told them. I didn't want them to freak out, right? Right? right. I don't. I, I see no evidence of that. I think that's just reality TV. I didn't want them to freak out. Um, but then we went into a uh, one more one more parking lot. So between those subleased situations, we grew to about a thousand members, hmm. and the overhead was practically nothing. Right? It was I was doing all the camps. This Morgan had since. We tied the knot, we got married, she quit Kellogg, she was climbing the corporate ladder, that's what brought us to Charlotte in the first place. After I got released, we went to Naples, Florida, she was already working for Kellogg's, killing it, she got a promotion up here, and I followed her, because I was sugar mama. So, she, <laughs> right, she's like, she was, she, well, she's my everything, like, so I dropped everything I was doing in Florida and just moved right up here. And Kellogg's is, their headquarters is in Battle Creek, Michigan. It is, yep, that's how she got into it. Her grandfather was a longtime uh, employee of Kellogg's. Interesting. Oh, that's really yep. interesting. Yep. And so, uh, back to your question, how do we get from that point to this point? So we had five sublease spots, overhead super low. We looked down. I've got a million bucks in cash sitting in my bank account. I'm late. I'm in my like it was like maybe around my 27th birthday. I think it was slightly before then. 26 years old, and this is two years in. And Morgan and I look at each other like nervous more than anything. Not even excited. Uh, like yeah. we were excited. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like I was, I was confused more than anything. Nervous about what? Uh, what to do with this money that I never thought I would have in my yeah. entire life. Yeah. Like I never thought I would be a. The, the goal was like not to be a millionaire. Like don't get it confused. It wasn't to like go blow up, you know, a thousand locations, take over the fitness industry, and you know, show the people that there's a fitness company on top. Mm-hmm. They can do it the right way. They can put people first and profit second. We just wanted to help moms in North Charlotte have a place they could work out hard, a community that they could call home, that they could bring their children to. Child watch, right? That was our big mission. Mm-hmm. And then we did what we thought would take a couple years and a couple months, and then success breeds ambition, right? It's not like, like the momentum that you get from that yep. starts to feed the ambition. It's like, oh, well, if that was that easy and we did that that fast, then people anecdotally are giving us this congratulatory surprise look about how fast we're going. Maybe there isn't any logical reason to slow down. What if we flipped all of these now that we have a couple years of financial history? What if we flipped them into brick and mortars, came up with a paint scheme, came up with an interior design, came up with economics and started building out four wall economics and actually like go take this to other states. Mm-hmm. So as we were doing that, the influx from other, other cities in North Carolina was already coming in. People were coming to us asking us, how do I bring a burn boot camp to my area? Right. And the answer was in the back of our heads, was, oh, babe, we have no idea how to do that. <laughs> right. But the, but I wasn't going to say that because like, the answer to opportunity is always yes. Yeah, it's the Richard Branson say yes, figure it out later. Exactly, 100%. So we said yes, and then I uh, realized that I could put them into a licensing agreement to bridge the gap until I could mm. officially become a franchise that's governed by the government, yeah. the U.S. government, uh, at a pretty stringent you know, standard, right, with the FTC and everything. So that was the story. Okay, so now we go into 2015. We've got... We've got a franchise now, okay? So I've got to have a team and I've got to sell units. 
So I said, okay, let's go out. Let's go out in award territory, selling and awarding. It's a synonym. It means the same thing. It means selling a territory. Somebody claims a territory, right? So we sell 200 in the first 18 months, which was like my guy was like my attorney was like, do three in your first year, that'll be really good. We did like 180 in the first year and 200 in the first 18 months. We had to staff up ahead of that growth curve, or else we would have mm-hmm. crumbled before we even got started. Yeah. And so what we had to do was take all of those franchise fees. We added it all up. It still wasn't enough for us to go staff up a million plus dollars ahead of the growth curve, right? Yeah. So what we needed to do was sell three gyms. So we sold three gyms, turned those gyms into our first, actually our uh, uh, third, fourth, and fifth franchise units because the two licensees converted. Mm -hmm. They were three, four, and five. We used all of that seed money, literally every ounce of it, you guys, literally every ounce. Didn't go on a vacation, didn't celebrate, didn't even go out for a dinner and cheers or high five. The next day we got it, we plowed it right back into the brand. Um, we never saw a single ounce of it. And we were able to retain 100% of the equity in the company because we were to come up with the growth capital ourselves yeah. at the time. Yeah. So six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars of growth capital at that time, cash in hand in your pocket was like, we can do some damage with this. We might not need to take series A, B, C. I always believed in from the very beginning that rich people, well, I mean, I'm talking the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, they are buyers, not sellers. They keep and they hold equity. They'll sell it as they go along, right? But only when it's so incredibly valuable that it's a no-brainer not to, not out of desperation too early when you need to just to get up off the ground. Yeah, so I wanna dive into that more because you're at this flexion point in the business of how do you get that money? And obviously one of the ways that people can do it is to raise capital, right, and to go through and and get investors on. was that ever even a conversation or was that an immediate, no, we need to find a different way so we can bootstrap this and keep this thing ourselves? That's a great question. I've not been asked that question before, but as soon as you asked it, something came to my mind that I hadn't really talked about much. Uh, but we actually had, and I won't use the name of the company, I don't think it adds any value to the story, but we had a, an executive uh, from a huge 1,000 plus chain fitness company reach out to us in 2016 after they saw a Forbes article that talked about how crazy fast our initial 18 months was. It said something like, Fran Data, which is a data analytics agency for the franchise sector, uh, calculated that Burn Bootcamp was in the 99th percent of growth of, um, of any company that entered franchising since 2010, something along those, a pretty niche, a pretty niche uh, mm-hmm. specific stat. And somebody read this, an executive of another company, and they reached out to me and they wanted to cut me a seven figure check. By the way, I could have really used that seven figure <laughs> check. Like this wasn't a, you know, today it'd be an easy decision to say no. Then, mm, I was like, keep you up at night for days mm-hmm. on end yeah, yeah. wondering. But we ultimately said, we metaphorically kind of slid the check back across the table. They wanted to buy the rights to the entire state of Minnesota in what's called a master, or it's called a uh, uh, area representation agreement, not direct franchising with the franchisor, 
not like, you know, Ben, like you buy something from us and we have a relationship. Yeah. It's like you buy something and then turn around and sell that something to franchisees, right? So there was like a middleman model that they wanted to do. And man, for seven figures, that was mm-hmm. pretty Entice, tempting, enticing. pretty tempting, but not more tempting than not. That was not more pleasurable than the feeling of pain that would have come from our franchisees who invested their 401ks. Yeah in us to say, hey, I believe in you. I believe in you to take this brand to the next level. Right. Doing those master agreements and, and, and area rep agreements and things like that, it's how a lot of companies grow fast, but it's how a lot of them and most of them in this sector of the world also crumble quite yeah. rapidly yeah. as well. Yeah, the economics don't, they stop. And those on the tail end suffer. Mm-hmm. They do, yeah. And you see that in our industry right now. Like, I mean, if you just look around the fitness industry, the past few headlines have not been good. And I don't, I'm not the type to sit here and call out names or anything, but the industry in general needs someone like Morgan and I who can, ha- who can represent the mon pa attitude at scale, right? This, we're doing this for our communities. That's what most people get into fitness for. Yeah. Because yeah. the encouragement in the four walls of, their, of, of people's household is non-existent because the abuse is rampant because it's chaotic just like it was in my house and yeah. way more households than we know about yeah i've got a lot of exposure at this point to everyday suburban america and it's a shit show mm-hmm. for a lot of people yeah. a lot of people are depressed a lot of people have anxiety and this is this was stacking the pandemic really put this into acceleration but this has been stacking right for years and a lot of a lot of our members feel like they don't have an outlet and a lot of those members that didn't have an outlet found it inside the four walls of burn where encouragement is free high yeah. fives are free like you are expected to do great things it's not oh you, that was luck you know it's like you're right. expected to do great things you will do great things and you have this team of people around you and then people come to expect that of themselves and then your franchise then your members become franchise partners and that's the way our business has blown up. Um, 90, 90 plus percent of our franchisees are women. Mm. They have partnerships with their husbands and a, a lot of them are uh, couples, families. Mm-hmm. But if 90% of your membership is women and then 90% of your ownership is women, there's a high correlation there. Right. Right. Yeah. And listen, I'm super proud to be a white male in America running a company focused on inclusivity and women's empowerment. It's like, yeah, give me that spot because then I can be the poster child of how that responsibility is supposed to be taken on and maintained. And I just look around and I see so much selfishness Mm -hmm. and so much greed and so much ego. I just just hope to have an impact that's bigger than push-ups and barbells and burpees at some point. over the next 20 years is that responsibility that you put on yourself is is that something that you've had in your mind a long time or was that something that evolved as burn continued to grow and you saw the impact that you were having i think it goes back to the word respect Mm. right like i never intrinsic i just never was handed opportunity and then be like i trust you with this right so the first time somebody Mm. liquidated liquidated their 401k refinance mm. their house to buy a burn boot camp. Yep. I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm. That's what went through my head silently. Like, 
you actually respect me enough to like you want to like mm-hmm. who who are you talking to? Mm-hmm. Is there someone standing behind me? I don't. <laughs> you want to partner with us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Coming what? from humble beginnings, you're uncomfortable winning, right? It's yeah. like okay, that's where that becomes a superpower. Is I will not let you down. Yep. You know. What are some of those things you look for in a potential franchisee? Because you have to, if you want to keep that ma and pa type environment, you have to have the right people running it. And you are, you can't be all over the country every day. So what are some of the things you look for there? First of all, the number one quality that you have to have to be a business partner of mine is you have to have a people first attitude. You've got to, so our four core values are not just stickers on the wall. People first, pride and results, authenticity, integrity. There's whole definition to all of those. We don't have to get into that. But you as a human being, right? You don't have to language it the exact same way that I language it, but you as a human being need to have that same directional conversation already in your, in your familial communication at your dinner table when you read your kids your core values and you talk about what we do as a family what we don't do as a family what we pray for as a family you know who we are when you talk about those things you've got to already be in synergy with the company's core values or else it's never going to work out Mm -hmm. it's like it's like the dna of the company has to some way match your dna right and you guys get that here right or else this or else that person's it's not that they're a bad person yeah it's just that you know they're only going to be able to produce mediocre work because they don't believe in it. You can't produce yeah. exceptionally high-performing work if you don't believe in the mission. Right. And so for me, it all starts with core values. And and when the ironic thing about this is when you do put people first, and I hate that I have to say it in a cliche way, but it's obvious when people hear it this way. It's like the definition of greed is screwing people over yeah. for your own selfish profits. And yeah. that is most of most of the financial industry, not all, not all, I'm not saying that. Most of the financial industry has people inside leading their company that have that mentality, yep. which is why the industry as a whole has that reflection. I agree. Right, yep. right, because the, the people inside are the, uh, how do you say, the employees or the followers or the, the, they're a direct reflection of the leader, right? It's the leadership mirror, 100%. you know? And so I know that, and I've always known that. Baseball taught me that. That's where I learned this from. It's mm-hmm. like people, your teammates, are going to be a mere reflection of the captain's choices. If the captain says, guys, it's 4 a.m., get up. We're going to the gym. We're going to win the championship this year. Who's coming with me? You're going to have a higher probability of those guys coming with you than if you know, you're out at the club with them at that same 4 a.m. hour. And also a higher uh, uh, possibility of winning the championship. Mm -hmm. And so to me, core values map right to DNA. DNA maps to championship culture. You know, do you have the blood necessary, the mindset necessary, the attitude, the effort, the belief to hang with this team? Because this team has high standards. And tomorrow they're going to be higher. And they're not going to go backwards. So core values to me as the definition of those standards, pride and results being number two. It's like profit's very important. We're not going to prioritize that over people. And the way we're going to do that is every board meeting that we have, I took this from Howard Schultz, one of my heroes, every board meeting they have, they've got a barista and they've got a store owner right next to, a customer, excuse me, and a store owner right next to them. 
At every board meeting I have, I have a franchise partner and a member. And every decision that we make is through that lens. People first, pride and results second. Mm-hmm. We want to do well. We're, we're, we want to put points on the board. Yep. But we don't want to put 110 points on the board you know, by committing flagrant fouls that the referees don't catch. Right? And sliding under the radar. What we want to do is be honest, play the game with integrity, and win that way. Yeah, so I look for that most of all. That makes sense. You, throughout this entire conversation, it's very evident that you live your life to be the example of what you want others around you to be able to be, right? And, and that respect and that responsibility, things like that. So talk a little bit about how your role has, has evolved in the company because you living that way when you're coaching those classes, it's very easy to have that impact. But as the evolution of the business growing, obviously that's changed. So talk about your evolution and in, in the roles in business. Yeah, this is a great question. You're on fire, man. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, you think about the information age, right? And how I was able to basically have zero education. I went to school, so I can't say zero. Like I have a personal financial planning degree that I started at Central Michigan. I learned a lot from that, taking some accounting classes. And finished, I'm a Phoenix, by the way, University of Phoenix Online. We don't have a sports team, so I am a Phoenix. Um, But I'm proud of that as well. Uh, And when, you know, when you, when you have, when you have the opportunity that I have in front of me, the amount of worry that is created on a daily basis is pretty high, Mm -hmm. right? You're, you're constantly worried about what could go wrong. I don't ever fear anything. And I think that's a, a distinction that I wanna make. It's like, worry. I worry about everything. I think most people that are successful have s- some type of portion of their personality where like, it's all gonna fall, right? Like any minute it could all yeah. come go to zero. But then on the other side of that, you have to have this fearless, kind of attitude, right? This fearless attitude of, I'm not gonna let anything get in my way. Unstoppable you know, is a choice. And being able to balance that with your team, with my team, is, is really important. And in order for us, in order for me to push down the responsibility to go from training and impacting members at a unit level and then, then teaching people to do that and then teaching people to teach people to do that and then you know now all of a sudden you have nine layers in your organization and you're far removed away from the core product on a daily basis. There's an opportunity, a very easy opportunity for the, uh, what, that worry to go away, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. if you're not in there, I'm like, when I'm in the gym working out, I can freaking barely focus on myself because I'm worried about everything that's going on in the gym all day long. I don't fear it, but I'm worried about it and I gotta fix it like now, Yeah. right? And so, I'm trying to get to the place with you guys right now where I make the connection of as you get higher up in the company, further away from the product, the propensity to worry becomes a lot less on the things that really matter, right? The actual product as the differentiator itself. So I've always known that in order for me to scale, I can't lose the contact at the unit level or what we call living on the edge. We live, Morgan and I both live on the edge of the brand. She believes this and I believe her that every answer that we need comes from a member in the field. And so we spend, I've spent 
nearly 200 hours this year already in the air visiting other gyms for that very reason. Not only to celebrate milestones, and I'm not going in to like portray my worries to anybody, but in the back of my mind and on my notepad, I write all the things down that give me any pause or give me any concern or give me any, any type of worry. I bring that back to my CEO and her team and then they go decide the things I'm full of shit on and the things that you know right. they actually have some merit that they need to go tackle yeah. and then they go do it. And so between staying close to the members and, and actually listening to them, like actually listening to them, not just hearing them, yep. listening to them, and then listening to my trainers and our burn ambassadors and our child watch and then our franchise partners and then my team at headquarters. Uh, that's six, uh, you know, six thousand or so people work for us. You know, one hundred and ten thousand or so members. Every single one of those people have something in their head about our business that could get better, and my job is to extract that from them. And this is how I stay close to it. You know, now as I'm just one person traveling to all these. Right. different gyms. I know that was a really long-winded answer, but there is a and that and it's complicated. And that's why so many yeah. people have a hard time with it. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, I even see that now. Our trainers that want to be franchise partners or they want to be training managers. Stepping away from an environment where you have 600 people that freaking love everything you do, yeah. every step you take, yeah. right? Who give you credit for changing their life. Mm-hmm. Who one percent of those people you've literally saved their life from suicide yeah like these are real that's right non-hyperbole type things right so to be pulled away from that's very hard it was very hard here's my philosophy do you want to hear my philosophy as a punchline on it we all have an ego no matter how much you try to get rid of it you're still going to have one it's part of our it's our part of our nature and what you can do is is separate yourself from it so it is a separate entity than you in a way that I've been able to do that, protect against my own ego bias is to say, anybody that I, it starts with this. As an entrepreneur, if I have a job title that's anything other than entrepreneur, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm, I was an entrepreneur, now I'm a C-suite executive, yep. right? I was an entrepreneur, now I'm the president, right? I never wanted to be a title. Mm-hmm. I want to be the entrepreneur. I'm actually not a great manager. Like you give me quarterly pulses and weekly meetings and yeah. same page meetings and methodically going from one week to the next to integrate, yeah. you're gonna get a bunch of swirl. Right. People are gonna get whiplash in the organization, yeah. kind of left and right. So number one is I need to work myself out of a job at all times. If I'm actually managing anyone, then I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm doing what's necessary for the business at the time but I need to get out of that as soon as I can, be self-aware enough, where are my gaps? How do I need to close that? Get a true manager, a professional manager in place and get myself back to being the visionary, back to original thought, back to no schedule. Okay, how do you get yourself there? How do you make that decision? How do you protect against ego? The person I'm bringing in to do the job that I know that I am not cut out for as good as somebody else could be cut out for is they need to be able to do the job at 80% as good as I could. Yeah. If they can do it as 80% as good as me, well, I'm protecting my own ego, right? Yep. Hey, they're still not as good as I could do it, right? <laughs> but that 80% is acceptable, and then you, what happens is then, you know, it opens you to hiring somebody, you hire somebody, they come in, if they're the right person, they actually do the job way better than you could ever do it, 120% of what you could do it, the way you could do it, uh, because you are an entrepreneur, you're not a manager. If anybody's out there and yeah, is sitting in their business right now, 
and they're just focused on like the next 13 weeks and you're not next, focused on the next 13 years, you need to read a book called, uh, called E-Myth by oh, yeah. Michael Gerber. Yep. One of the first books I read when I didn't know oh, anything really? about entrepreneurship. I read it way back when and then I read it just recently. And it, mean, it meant something, to your point earlier, something dramatically different the first time versus versus now. But it's a, it'll be a self-audit for those entrepreneurs out there who might be operators. Yeah, You might be an operator and that's okay. Sheryl Sandberg at Facebook is an operator. She's not an entrepreneur. She's richer than all of us, right? Right, and more has more fame and more fans. So, like, you don't need to be an entrepreneur in order to become wealthy. There's a lot of different ways to get wealthy. But if you are an entrepreneur and you put yourself in a position to where you have to manage things or monotonously do a job day after day, you're going to suffocate. And so, if you're unhappy that and you're that's probably a, and you're doing 80 hours a week worth of tasks, probably an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. right? If you're an operator and you do 80 hours worth a week worth of tasks and you're just happy as a pig rolling in the mud, you're probably an operator. Yeah, you're in the right seat. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, two things are running through my mind. One is, how did you become self-aware enough to where, we talk about it on, on this and even in the book that I wrote uh, on what I call Thrive Wither, which is left side of the T-chart is what makes you come alive. Mm-hmm. Right side is what makes you wither. And it's not strengths and weaknesses because you can have strengths in your wither column. Hmm. You may be really good at it, but you're burned out on it. Yep. How did you become self-aware enough to where you started realizing? Because you've said it a couple times in, in this conversation where, hey, I'm not good at this, but I'm really good at this. You're a natural uh, marketer. You, like, you, 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 in, you just exude enthusiasm and passion and purpose, all that kind of stuff. What were some of the things that helped you get clarity on the stuff that makes you come alive and the stuff that makes you wither? Frustrations, probably. <laughs> yeah, you know, I had to search for that one for a minute, but like that's seems to be the mm. thing that you don't like when I when X action happens, what's X emotion? If it's a good one, probably keep doing that thing. If yeah. it's a bad one, probably eliminate that thing. And what happened, I think, to me over and over and over was that I was just able to come up with a, I guess, a framework, and I'll share the framework, in order to, how would you say, play the tape back? Yeah from any interaction that I had or any experience that I had. Subconsciously, it probably comes from being like being a professional athlete. No matter whether you did well or you were awful, you always played the tape back and you learned something, right? right? Right. So for me, I needed to find a way to play the tape back. I felt like I needed to have, I was always used to assessing my own performance, put it that way. So it wasn't a a foreign concept once I got into business Mm -hmm. that, hey, it's probably you screwing something up here, <laughs> right? Because as a pitcher, if I, if my front side arm, my, we call it glove side arm, if my glove side arm, we call it got too fast and I really torqued and I opened my left side of my body up, well then my ball is gonna be up and into a right-hander if I was a right-hand pitcher because of what happened to my arm angle pulling my front shoulder out. Close your front shoulder, right? The nature of pitching is it's all your fault because listen, th- I mean, it's, it's logical. 
they only have to get a hit off of you three times out of ten in order to be in the Hall of Fame. Right. So if you're getting, if you're going out there and getting lit up, you suck. Yeah. Right. Like it is, it is literally you with a ball on a mound, and there's thousands of people around you watching, and there's no one literally within like 50 feet of you. So there's a lot of mm. self awareness built mm. into the game of baseball. Right. right. Well, right. especially what you did too, right? Being a closer. Yeah. That takes what you just described and amplifies it dramatically. Hundred percent. Right. Because now it's like. You've got a like, okay, I'll give you a scenario. I go into the July 4th game. And in any minor league park in the country, if you've ever been to one, you know July 4th is like the game you want to get in. Oh, yeah. Right? They're doing, they're doing, you know, the crowd is wasted. So that makes it fun because everybody's heckling. Everybody's like hooting and hollering. They're all loud. You know, the fireworks are going to go off. There's not room in the stands. It's like, you go out there knowing that you're coming out of the bullpen, your song comes on, you know, <laughs> yeah. final count, right? And like you're running out from center field and the crowd's on their feet and they're going wild. Your heart rate starts going, do, 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 You literally have to go, you're too excited right now. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Calm down. So there's a layer of being a good pitcher that uh, mm-hmm. makes emotional intelligence a prerequisite, mm-hmm. if you will. Yep. So I had that going in. And so my framework that I took because I didn't have somebody filming my interactions all the time in business, so I had to create a framework. And I took this from a, uh, a psychoanalytical therapist, actually the man who created psychoanalytical therapy, uh, his name's Dr. Carl Jung, if you've ever heard of Carl Jung. Um, J-U-N-G, I think, he's, yeah. I think he's a Swiss, Swiss philosopher. Well, he created um, psychoanalytical uh, therapy, and he has this concept of the sh- of like the shadow self, where it's basically like two versions of yourself walk around with you at all times, right? The version that's in the physical form sitting here, and then a carbon copy that's like over in that chair or in the corner of the room. But that uh, that, that second alternate version of you is a conscious being that is also aware of what you are saying when you are saying it in the moment, and then that you can have self dialogue or. Mm. Um, or a monologue, <laughs> it's a monologue with yourself, self-dialogue either way. But you have this opportunity now to just have a conversation and I actually would treat it as if it was a coach. Mm. And I still do this, I'll do this now so fluidly, I'll do this literally on the way home. Yeah. From this podcast, right. in this setting with you guys. Hey, was there anything in which Ben was like giving you the nudge to shut the hell up and you kept going, <laughs> right? Was there, did Gary, the look, did Gary look at you? Was Gary writing enough notes there? Like, you know, did you catch a glimpse of his notebook? What was he writing down? Was it good stuff? Did he did you hit the message stuff. the right way? You know, like you didn't skip over that question, did you? You didn't lose your train of thought anywhere, did you? Oh, did you? Where? Oh, well, what would you do next time instead of losing your train of thought in that, in, in having to, you know, pause for a moment to come back around and close the loop. How could you do that more efficiently mm-hmm. next time, right? So you're just going through this dialogue with yourself. And for me, that's been my structure. I call it play the tape back. It's mm-hmm. my way of like, I don't want to articulate it like Carl Jung might articulate it because I've got people that follow me because they used to be like me in some way, shape or form. And I can speak to the old version of me that was once that is them and they can see themselves in me and now that to me is something my followers and the people that look up to me can resonate with. It's like, play the tape back. Yeah. Like, don't let a, a conversation go by 
where you don't have a few questions that you asked yourself in the spirit of self-analyzation and self-awareness? That's, I got a couple more questions. That yeah, I, no, go for it. One is when you, you know, you have done a great job of being able to extricate yourself from the all roads lead to the founder. Right. Yeah. Because uh, that's not scalable. Yep. It's like the person. Many selling. people have told me that, Gary. You guys included. Yeah, that's good. Uh, because that is that's kind of the right. death trap. Yep. And it, it is ego a lot of times, or they just don't know. But it's like the I'm selling uh, individual coaching sessions at sixty bucks an hour versus hey, I, sixty bucks an hour, but I got twenty of you guys. Right. <laughs> right. So you've done that extremely well. My question to you is how. Have you been able to train, hire and train so that it is replicable versus more chaos? It's systemic. The answer to your question of how you how do you scale a product, a service that has such an emotionable, emotional, kind of intangible spirit to it? And the answer is through a body of information. It's very, very important that you don't have split body of information that one that mom says to do it one way and dad says to do it another way. Mm -hmm. This was a big problem in our organization a few years back when Morgan COO and I'm CEO mm -hmm. and I think I'm a good CEO when really Morgan is the CEO sitting in a COO's body mm -hmm. and once mom, because we were aligned flat, meaning uh, those of you that can't see me, what I'm doing is showing like with my hands an org chart. I was at the top of this org chart on this side of the business called the support side. Morgan was on the other side and an even to me on the revenue side. We have a matrix. So each revenue category has a head that runs the P&Ls. Each support category has a, uh, a VP or an executive that runs the support functions for all of those revenue categories. So it's classic matrix style organizational infrastructure. Well, in an organization where you've got six layers and then a franchise layer and they've got then three layers, mm. now you've got 10 layers, how do you cascade information when there's two people at the top of the organization saying the same thing slightly different ways? Mm -hmm. Who, by the way, both have an immense amount of respect from the people around them. And if sure. we say go, they go. Yeah. And, they, and, they, and they go with the exact the exact way that we told them to go or suggested that they go with no amendments or right like yeah. that I'm taking us back back to uh, taking us back to that time this was yeah. the culture yeah that's a problem yeah Morgan and I read a book called Rocket Fuel have oh, you yeah. ever read Rocket Fuel mm -hmm. yep. great book for any entrepreneurs in this scenario where you're trying to get unstuck try to get out of the mud you're trying to figure out why you keep having the same problems over and over and over, like banging your head against the wall and wondering why you're bleeding, right? It's like kind of silly because you're banging your head against the wall. That's right. why you're bleeding, right? So we stopped banging our head against the wall. Morgan, uh, who I told her, I planted this seed three years earlier, that she was the eventual CEO. Back to our earlier conversation, I knew that yep. I was never trying to hold the job. Yep. So it was a no-brainer to me. She was already walking, talking, breathing the job as a COO. Easy, no-brainer for me. I get up and out. Almost within a quarter, all of those ailments, all of those 
all the body of information that was coming from me and the body of information that was coming from Morgan, kind of saying the same thing, but not really creating whiplash at all 10 of those layers in the organization was immediately eliminated once I put her in the position of CEO. I'd say put her in the position. She earned the position, but it's ultimately my job as a CEO to provide the successor to the role. That's part of the responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So we aligned to visionary. So I'm the visionary. She's the CEO. I have zero direct reports. I have zero standing meetings. Um, My job is capital markets, strategic relationships, vision, problem solving, next 15 moves we call it, which is our 36-month strategic roadmap. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then uh, all of the, how would you say, key relationships from not only a marketing and branding perspective, but also from a financial perspective, right? Uh, kind of blending into the capital markets. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm a point person for our CPA, for which you guys are amazing, by the way. <laughs> shout out, I gotta, I gotta give that shout out. I've been searching to be with an amazing company like you guys for a long time, big enough to awesome. handle, big, big enough to handle uh, the size of my organization, definitely smart enough to, handle the size of my organization and beyond, but also a small feel where I didn't feel like a, you know, this little tiny insignificant client in like this huge pond at like one of the, I went from like super, super niche, probably, um, you know, about like one tenth of your size then to like 100th your size. And then you guys are just an amazing organization who anybody that's in that scale on the come up, you got to definitely look into <laughs> what you guys are doing. Cause it's been helpful. But anyway, back to just finish that, um, uh, that question out, it's it's being able to have an education, the same body of information. So realizing when yourself, you're back to self awareness. When you're in the wrong seat, getting out of your own way, it was my fault. It's a punchline. Mm. Put Morgan, she's way better at it than I am. Put her in a position. Here's the caveat: you've got to give the CEO the tiebreaker, and this doesn't need to be on a C-suite scale, by the way. Yeah. Right. This can be even at like a three, four employee scale. Yeah. Right. Just right. your director is yep. your CEO in that sense, or your operations manager is whoever's making the calls in the business on a day-to-day basis. Your quarterback is another way to put it. Yep. Let yeah. your quarterback call the plays. Let them call the audibles. Right. If I'm on the sidelines calling the play, and my call, my play caller is my quarterback. They want to give an audible. Let them do it. Right. So Morgan got the tiebreaker, which eliminates any bias of me being like gung-ho on some stupid thing like some shiny squirrel over here in the corner that I think's hot in the moment and then it ends up being something we should have never chased she can see those things she mitigates us from going in that direction she's like the focus overlord put it that way I love it so she really dials in our focus that having this now we have the same body of information cascading all the way down to the organization coming right from her my ideas synthesized through her made smarter and then integrate it into the organization in a consumable way where it's not like a fire hose, you know, squirting in people's face. And then this, the last part about that that I would say is then on top of that, that's one, that's like an infrastructure thing. Yeah. Then from an operational side, having education being the number one, which starts with logging your core processes, right? Like log all of the core processes that you have in your business educate everyone on the six or seven core processes that need to fo- be followed by all because because if you only you are you are 10 times 100 times more clear with what you want in your head 
and you need to say it a thousand times more than you think you need to say it yeah. in order for even one person to grasp it partially. Mm-hmm. And that's my full-time job now is to say the same old things in new, fresh ways to the same old people, but also to say those things to new people as well who have no idea who we are. Yep. Gary, anything else? Man. I mean, I know yes, right? We, we Devin, we could keep you here for three hours. I think we could. That was when we were first going <laughs> to uh, do the podcast. I texted Gary and was like, I may let this thing run for three hours. Because I had so many questions for us to talk about. But yeah. I appreciate you coming on. This has been an amazing conversation. You're, the way you share your story and the authenticity and the peek yeah. behind the curtain of what you're yeah. doing and why you're doing it um, is going to empower a lot of our listeners. And so that's that's incredible. So we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, there's going to have to be a part two, I have a feeling. <laughs> a number of folks have kind of had that. Not all. Yeah. But a lot of them, but you definitely, there's there's more stuff here. Yeah. So I'd be, I'd be happy to. And I think uh, Morgan's actually in Tennessee right now because we do t- tend to divide and conquer. But you guys are just a hop, skip, and a throw, uh, you know, right from HQ. So we can pop in. We can do it together. That'd bring be her on. Yeah, yeah. That'd be great. That'd be a fun dynamic. We'd right. love to. And if there's any executives, that, like just I know you guys are just trying to give and you're trying to, uh, That's it. You're, yeah. you're trying to move the needle forward for people out there in their lives. It's super admirable. It's such a noble cause. You've done it in your own lives, and now you're sharing it with other people. I just think that's so cool. And so, you know, I'm in that position in my own life now. I've been focusing on health and fitness content for the last 10 years. And now that Morgan and her team and our 74 and growing at HQ are clicking on all cylinders and the business is better than it's ever been before and the value is higher than it's ever been, more and more and more of my focus is really, uh, really, you know, giving back and putting that goodwill putting that goodwill out there. I think almost I probably want a men I probably want to be the mentor that I wanted when I was 17. That's a great aspiration. Good yeah. way to put it. I've so, got one more thing that go I want to add though. <laughs> Your story just to recap. You know, ties into something somebody told me a long time ago when I was just going through hell and he said, "Gary, out of our greatest pain often becomes our greatest ministry or blessing to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I listen to your story and I'm like, man, you know, I can't imagine some of the stuff that you've been through. Um, and so I just want to say thank you for using that pain to actually benefit other people because it, it, it exudes from you. Mm-hmm. We can hear it in your voice. We can hear it in your passion. It's not about, you know, Devin Klein and how great he is, because you are great. But it's about your heartbeat of serving. So I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you. It's uh, inspiring to me, so thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Devin, where can our listeners go to uh, to follow you to get more of your content? Because you're doing a great job of putting content out. So where can people go? Yeah, so they can always follow me on Instagram. It's an interesting time when this is going to air because I'm actually launching. I'm going to launch uh, two or three videos a week on a YouTube channel that I've got 14,000 followers on it, but we don't have any content. It's like it's just been this ghost channel that's been sitting there, and I've got this like itch to kind of do what you guys are doing and do more of this stuff for the entrepreneurial community. And so. Yeah, I'm not gonna sell anything. I'm not gonna do. I'm just gonna put out a couple videos a week that talk about our story and maybe some lessons learned. So Instagram's the best place, and look out for a new YouTube channel um, called DKX, which will stand for the Devin Klein Experience, and we'll uh, launch that on YouTube and podcast coming up here. uh, What October third or fourth or something like that? Pretty soon here, shortly. So 
Yeah. And it will, we'll do it every week. So That's cool. Yeah. And so last final question. Can they find Lightning 900 on <laughs> YouTube? <laughs> there is one video. Zay, did we, did we take that video down or did we leave it up? You put it back up. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's my, it's a contrast video. It's my very. I'm a marketing branding guy, right? So before I could afford Isaiah, and you know he's one of the best out there, so he ain't cheap. <laughs> before I could hire Isaiah, you know I was cutting all my videos myself, and I know Ben, you're in here. You guys are bootstrapping your podcast and setting up yourself. And I remember those yep. days when like you you know and that, there's a video out there uh, from Lightning 900 <laughs> on YouTube where it was my very first multi-layered production where there's audio and video and b-roll and scripting and uh let's just say we've come a long way (laughs) let's just say we've come a long way i love it thanks devin thanks